Hi, I'm Gar Sanders. I'm Jamie Wincup. I'm Lee Holdsworth. I'm James Courtney. We're the Forex Angels, and you're listening to the VA Insiders. It's your weekly dose of V8 news on the V8 Insiders. Now here's your host, Craig Revell. The wait begins as the Enduros look a seasonal way. Guns N' Roses play Sydney to end the year and John Crennan joins the Kelly game. There's probably room for somebody with a bit of experience that might just sort of take the burden off their shoulders a little bit. So That's all coming up today as the red lights go out on another edition of the V8 Insiders. Take in the V8 of the races. You watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. John Crennan, the man who started HSV, has said he's looking forward to the challenge of returning to the V8 supercar circus. When I look at someone uh, walking up the shops every morning around my age, shuffling up to, to buy the paper or taking the dog for a walk is the most important thing in their day. That motivates me more than anything to get back into the cut and thrust. John Crennan, who was locked out of the sport for two and a half years following his departure from Clayton, believes the foundation is already established at Kelly Racing, which will see them develop into a powerhouse over the next few seasons. And his role, which Todd Kelly likens to an AFL club president, Crennan hopes to be able to position the Kelly team as an industry leader. We have a full interview with John Crennan in this week's White Flag Lab. Paul Serbrenich's Pace Innovations Company has been commissioned to build the car of the future prototypes with V8 supercars overseeing the work. At this stage, it is expected they'll be ready on April 1st, 2011. With the car of the future regulations as they currently stand, the chassis and components will be identical, but the shell will be unique to each manufacturer. V8 Supercars Australia have commissioned one full car for each of the current manufacturers, Ford and Holden, with the hope that the work will ensure that the flat-pack chassis design will be practical for all teams. In another announcement, V8 Supercars Australia has decided to remain with the spool diff. However, it will be manifested manufactured especially for the car of the future. Last week, Rahidi Rafi from the Chevrolet series in Bahrain got his chance to drive the Paul Morris Motorsports Super Cheap Autos Commodore. Rafi was happy with his performance, the 21-year-old realising that he has time on his side, with many in the V8 supercars hoping that the first regular Middle Eastern driver will find his way into either the Fujitsu series or the main game, cementing the link between those two important areas. Last week, Guns N' Roses was confirmed as a headliner at the Sydney 500. The one-off concert for the East Coast is hoped to build on the rock and race format, which was so successful at last year's inaugural event. Also on display at Sydney will be Tony Hawk's The X Game legend Hawk will have daily shows Saturday and Sunday at the Skate Complex. Well, what does Tim Blanchard, Alan Simonson and Ivan Muller all have in common? Well, before this week, you might have only had to say, who are racing drivers, Alex? 
Now you can also add who are racing drivers scheduled to drive with Greg Murphy in 2010. Blanchard will be the lunchtime driver in the 500. Simonson is scheduled to jump in at midday in Bathurst. And if you like calling the Gold Coast 600 in Enduro, then Mueller has to eat his frog legs early while Murphy grabs a lamb sandwich at lunch. Damian White will move into the vacant operation manager's role at V8 Supercars Australia following Kurt Sasuski's move to the Gold Coast Race Management. Nine weeks proving to be a good lead-up for White to the biggest events of the season. And it looks like the break will be a chance for teams to stock up on some new staff with both Brad Jones Racing and Dick Johnson Racing looking for number two mechanics. And finally, there are three teams that have had their applications for endurance race licences accepted. Greg Murphy Racing, Matthew White Racing and Cedars Racing Team all working hard to get their lineups ready for Phillip Island and Bathurst. Adrenaline Motorsport had applied for an endurance licence but withdrew their application. And that's the news on the V8 Insiders. After the break, Andrew Clark and Richard Crail will be along and also then later, their full interview with John Crennan. I hope you'll stay with us. Controversy Corner is next when we return with more on the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. The views expressed on V8 Insiders, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect those of the network, Thunder Media, sportradio.com.au or V8X Magazine. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Hi, I'm Jason Richards. You're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. Joining us this week, a man who's been with us from the start, Andrew Clark. How are you going, Clarky? Hey, Greg, not bad in yourself? Not too bad. Looking forward to uh, your new book coming out very soon, too, about Mr. Mark Scaife. It uh, should be an interesting read. Yeah, well, I think it is, personally, but, uh, you know, I'm quite deep inside the thing, but uh, it's launched on the 2nd of August, a great Father's Day present, and uh, um, you'll find that um, uh, Scafie's very eloquent in the way he describes certain parts of his life, and uh, the one thing that opened up to me was the amount of crashes the bloke's had. It's amazing he's alive. Mm. Well, Richard Crayhill, on that note, knows what it's like to crash at a high speed, and uh, fortunately he hasn't been doing that lately because SBS needs him too badly. Richard, how's it going? <laughs> Thanks, Craig. G'day, Clarky. I've never crashed once in my life, mate. I spun a Porsche once this year, and everyone puts me down as a, uh, as a crasher. I don't know. But I, look, I too are looking forward to, to the, the Scaife book. Uh, if Mark uh, comes across in that as eloquently as he does on uh, on TV on 7, I think it'll be a really good read. Mm. It's interesting, though, because uh, one of the things that always is the measure is that uh, you measure how many wins to how many crashes <laughs> or spins or DNFs. And uh, I think, uh, well, scafe has got us covered there. Well, I've, I've spun once and won absolutely nothing. So uh, I guess that makes me a pretty average. <laughs> there you go. I've only scratched one race car in my life, so, uh, you yeah, know, it's not too bad. What, walking yeah, past it? Yeah, I'd, I'd lean on somebody going down the back straight at Winton. <laughs> <laughs> hey, rule D1.15.7 says teams are not permitted to test or to conduct test days July 31 
to August 29 inclusive. If we thought it was going to be bad nine weeks, well, now we've got an even bigger reason to wonder what's going on here. Because I was under the impression, Andrew, that Tony was going to have a compulsory stand down for a couple of weeks at the shops to make sure the team's got a break. Yeah, I thought yeah, the original plans I thought were to to ensure that you know there was a shutdown that uh, you know that Tony would go along and knock on a few doors and uh, make sure that no one was there. Um, there was always a lot of talk about you know how you could sneak around the system, but uh, yeah, I thought the aim was to um, to ensure that people did get that break, given that they've now given us a shorter Christmas break so we can get to the Middle East earlier. Mm. Richard, when's a break not a break, and why is a break got to be so long for the supercars as opposed to the rest of the motorsport world in Australia? Yeah, it's, it's the million-dollar question, isn't it, to test or to not testing? Um, personal experience for me, working in a couple of categories, Formula Ford, Formula 3, stuff like that that requires young drivers to come through and learn the ropes. Uh, a lot of the Formula 3 programs I've been involved in over the last five years have had a massive testing sort of... Uh, arrangement booked into the budget that they they come up with at the start of the year to go racing, um, but there's only eight days of testing during the middle of the season. So, you know, we get teams going. Look, we really want to run some young drivers. They're not racing. They just want laps. Um, but you know, if they're racing in the championship, they can't test. And it's sort of a chicken and the egg kind of thing. Do you want to spend the money or do you want them to save money? But you know, at the same time, you've got to get these guys laps and they want experience and miles in the cars. So. It's it's a very, very tricky thing. I can understand the mid-season break because it's been a massive start to the year and in particular the, the second half of the year is very, very crazy because I think once we get past Phillip Island, there's a race basically two weeks, you know, every two weeks right through to the end of the year and even from back-to-back. So there's going to be no rest right up until that Christmas period. But, yeah, it's 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 the real sort of conundrum for uh, organisers to get that balance between running and uh, and giving people a break. But you can guarantee that these teams, big multi-million dollar professional operations, and, and Clucky, you probably know better than most, that they're going to spend all this time in their workshops going through data, running simulations, dynos, seven-post rigs, whatever, getting cars sorted and finding new and smart ways of making cars go quicker. Yeah, and I think the one thing that misses out on it to me is that you do miss out on that ability to, to give those young guys a chance. And I think the biggest thing that, that holds us back as a young driver, or you know, when you see a younger driver come in, is that it takes quite a few years to actually get up to speed in this class. So the more laps, the more miles you can give people, the better. And I'm not a fan of, you know, big pre-season gaps in a sense. Um, I'm not a fan also of um, limited testing. I, mean, I think if V8 supercars were serious about worrying about the cost of running this sport, um, then allowing you to drive to your local racetrack and do a test is far less of an impost on your business than going and doing a ridiculous Friday session at a track that no one really cares about. So, yeah, if they're really serious about costs, get rid of those Friday sessions and uh, give them a few more tra- um, um, testing days back at their home track. It is going to be an interesting time because they're not allowed to test but they can do almost as many ride days as they can book, and HRT is booked in for a, uh, an absolute bucket load of ride days. Yeah, yeah ride days are a bit of con, um, in a sense. You know, technically, you're not allowed to, to collect data from it, but uh, you, know, you do get something out of it. So, yeah, I, you know, it is a bit of a joke. Richard? Yeah, yeah. There's, there's no doubt that, that there's a benefit to them. Even just, you know, you run a ride day a week before a race meeting, if they've had a, a few weeks off, gets the drivers, gets their eye back in, right back into it, so they're sharp from that very first session. So, 
you know, they're going to be uh, they're going to be getting something out of it. So yeah, it's, it's a bit of a, an interesting loophole, if you will. Mm. And if you've got a good enough driver, you get the feedback from them in terms yep. of you know what happened in the seat of the pants stuff. You know, so yeah, you can't make changes and you can't do this, you can't do that, but you sure as hell can stick something different in the car and see what happens and yeah. get your get your information back from there. And you know, in a case like HRT where you've got four cars to play with, you know, you could send cars out there in four different setups and come back with four bits of data. Um, mm. As I say, providing your drivers are smart enough to uh, to give you the feedback. Mm. And that's the, the thing. HRT has got some very good drivers in its stable, and you know they're going to be blooding all their uh, all their lunchtime drivers, if you will. Guys, just uh, as we uh, need to look at having a break here, so I'll only go with a quick one. And it's a South Australian question. Why is the Eclipsal boss walking away and... From what I'm reading, he's not walking that fast, Richard. No, look, he, he, I think he's basically said, Craig, that he's going to go when, when they find a replacement, so there's no real sort of deadline. I, I don't think... I think some people have read a bit too much in it. I know the local press over here did. Um, I think it's just one of those, those things where, you know, a CEO of a, a business or a, a managing director of a business often chops and changes, and the core structure of, of that organisation and the SA Motorsport Board's been the same for as long as they've been running the Clipsal 500 and longer. Um, and I don't think it's going to have a huge role, but Jason Allen's role over the last couple of years, I think, has been good. They've been driving a lot of improvements to the event, you know, the covered grandstands, the new pit facility, which made its debut last year. So, you know, he, he leaves a short but pretty strong legacy, as um, Andrew Daniels, who was involved before, did. So I, I, I think the best thing, guys, is that that organisation's got such respect over here um, as a major sporting body and a, an organisational body with a lot of clout, that they're going to get a very, very quality person in to, to fill that position regardless. I don't think um, they've got any dramas finding a replacement and getting someone in who can just keep this momentum going for, uh, for the biggest event on the calendar. Mm. And, Clarky, that's the thing. Over the last two years, we've seen some of the biggest changes in the Clipsal 500 under uh, Alan's uh, tutorship. Oh, yeah, pun. I mean, that's possibly just coincidence in a sense that the, the Clipsal 500 has been growing since the day it was born. And, uh, you know, it is now, <clears throat> if not the premier motor race in Australia, it is certainly one of the premier motor races in the world in terms of what it gives people. It's a great track for V8 supercars. There's nowhere in Australia or anywhere in the world do you see them race the way they can on that track. Um, and this is where it comes from. Yeah, you be big crowds, you get regular big crowds, you've got good corporate support for the event, you've got good... Yeah, support across the board and uh, at the end of the day that means money comes into the venue and that venue can then be upgraded to keep the fans happy and to make watching the motor race a much more pleasant experience. Mm. Uh, I personally have not one piece of stress level about the CEO leaving that organisation. It is a top quality quality company. Uh, They will put in somebody who's first class and the Clipsal 500 will just continue to grow and grow and grow. Well, just like the V8 Insiders, guys, we've got to take a break here on the V8 Insiders. There's plenty more right after this. You've taken the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. 
To ask a question of the V8 Insiders, just email them at v8insiders at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Craig Lance from Team Vodafone, and you're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. Joining us this week from SBS, it's our good friend Richard Crowell. And from, well, the life, well, life in the fast lane, the Scafey autobiography with Andrew Clark. It's Andrew Clark. G'day, Andrew. And uh, guys, Moving on, because we've got to do gas and go in this segment, because John Crennan is going to join us in the white flag lap, and uh, he returns to V8s with the Kellys. Now, I think one of the most interesting things about Crennan's return is he had a a two-and-a-half-year lockout from the sport, which is a very interesting one, and uh, it's, it's surprising that it was so long, but surprising on the length, not surprising that people are getting locked out of V8 supercars because teams don't want to lose key personnel and have them bob up at their competitors. It's kind of a, it's kind of a gardening, gardening leave situation, isn't it? That's what they call in Formula 1. Like Mike Gascoigne, I think, spent more of his career on gardening leave than he has working at teams because he, he swaps teams so often and you know, they, they don't want their, uh, their person who ends a contract going and taking all their latest data to a new team. So they go on what they call gardening leave for six months or a year or whatever. So... Yeah, interesting sort of situation, but what a good hire for uh, Kelly Racing. It's just uh, strengthened them up to no end, I think. Mm. Well, I think it's the pick-up of the season, in a sense. I mean, mm. you know, John Crennan um, was absolutely instrumental in turning HRT into what it is, um, in addition, obviously, to creating HSV, which is, uh, you know, one of the more successful um, car entities in this country. Um, you know, he's a terrific pick-up for those guys. I mean, clearly, um, John has worked with with the Kellys, both Rick and uh, and Todd, and their parents, John and Margaret, <coughs> for quite a while. Um, yeah, gardening leave, as you said, Richard, yeah, it's a common thing in industry. I mean, I do work for law firms, and a partner decides to leave, you're going to sit and watch the grass grow for six months. Mm. Um, very common with anything that carries a high level of intellectual property that you're going to, to want to keep them away so that you can keep building your own business. Um, but, yeah, uh, I think it's great to see John back in the game, and... Uh, and uh, it'll be good to see how Kelly's go with him at the helm, or him not necessarily at the helm, but uh, certainly helping at the helm. Mm. And it was very interesting what Todd said. He said, we see his role as chairman as more like a president of an AFL football club, which is a, a very interesting analogy to draw, considering the week before V8 Supercar said they wanted to booster the club mentality with the fans and try and uh, start working on that team club slash club mentality through uh, their promotion side. Yeah, I I think Kelly Racing are one of the teams ideally poised to capitalise on that move as well because they've got such a good fan base. They've got the two brothers. They've got a real sort of great thing they can promote. They've got an iconic brand sponsoring them as well, Jack Daniels, uh, very uh, noticeable merchandise range, I guess, uh, that's very, very popular. So of all the teams out there, you know, probably after the Triple Eight, Factory Ford and Factory Holden teams, they're probably the best place to really get a club mentality and get get a, a fan base and get a, a membership base, I guess, behind them and backing them. So that's that's the ideal time for them to come along and uh, and get someone like John on board to help foster that and grow it and, and work out the business connotations from that from a boardroom side, but also from a, a, a sort of marketing and sponsorship and, and performance side as well to see how it can impact the whole business. Mm. Andrew? Yeah, I think it's interesting to see that V8 Supercars is, is approaching that 
aspect uh, saying we want to have memberships at work. Um, you know, for those of you who don't actually live in an AFL state where you can join a club, I mean, you're talking massive numbers. I mean, Collingwood mm-hmm. just finished off the year with 57,500 members. And Hawthorne's just under shade under 55 again, including me and my two kids. Um, you know, so you've got, a, you've got a massive amount of money coming into the clubs through through that process alone. I mean, you're talking, you know, 150 to 200 bucks on average per membership. So you can see the revenue streams are just sensational. Mm. Um, but the difference is, and this is the one thing that's always going to be a problem for V8 Supercars in this scenario, is that I can go and see my club play um, when I'm not away at a car race um, probably 15, 16 or 17 times a year. For my investment with a V8 supercar, unless I want to get in and, in a plane and go interstate and so forth, I'll be lucky if I get them, you know, twice or three times uh, a year. So, how do you turn that into a to a membership that works on that front? I really don't know. I think it's a great challenge. Um, you know, Tony Cochran's never shied away from taking challenges, so I think that's a great thing. Um, but you know, I just don't see how it's going to necessarily work all that well. Um, but good luck to them, and it'll be great if they can make it work. Mm. I yeah. think it's going to be more more of the ride days, more of the workshop tours, factory tours, driver visits. Um, they could have a member day at a restaurant somewhere or something like that. I, mm. I think that, yeah, your point, though, is, is bang on. I mean, I'm, I'm an Adelaide Crows member, and uh, I, we've got 12... Oh, no, look, we're going all right at the moment. Clarking, better than my club, anyway. Yeah, the reigning premiers. Um, and, and, you know, and you're bang on. You know, I can go and see them 12 times a year at home, and I can go and see them in Melbourne if I want to, and it's such a, a convenient thing. So it is the biggest hurdle they've got to get over. But of all the sports in Australia outside the, the ball sports, I think um, I think it's probably one of the better ones to be able to take advantage of it because it's got such that passionate and enthusiastic fan base that will go to events at workshops or or restaurants or bars or whatever they might be. Mm. The problem is, and this is the problem the V8 supercars have had to wrestle with, is when you join a football club as a member... What do you get? You get entry to the home games. And that is something that V8 Supercars has... Well, uh, once V8 Supercars own and manage every race, it's not a problem. They can do deals with teams to allow their members in for free. But up until that stage, you know, you won't go to... Oh, you can go to Sandown now if you're in Melbourne because that's a V8 Supercar event and get a free ticket. You could go to Sydney if you were going to do it that way. But you're not going to... If you're a South Australian member of a of a team, you're not going to get a free ticket into Clipsal unless there's deals done and money's changing hands. So that's that's where the I guess the difference is going to lie because, one, you don't have a quality of where the races are held and, two, you don't have, uh, you don't have V8 supercars in control yet of every single race. But you've also got like $15 a head to get into a footy match compared yeah. to... Uh you know, whatever the horrendous amount is, you've got to pay to get into your latest V8 race. I mean, you know, mm. going to an Aussie rules match is cheaper than going to a V8 supercar race, and mm. that's a basic, full, you know, bottom line. So you might but only you get in one day. The, you can't have the instability um, that we had with Queensland and Perth if you want to start selling memberships that promise mm. people memberships. You can't run, you know, a so-called professional body like a bunch of amateurs when it comes to those things if you want to start doing that sort of, you know, taking people's money. Yep. Anyway, we need to uh, continue on here before we go to gas and go. The car in the future is about to be built. Interesting that uh, they're giving such a big lead time, uh, Richard, for this car to be constructed. It's starting today and it's going to be presented on April Fool's Day. Uh, An interesting choice of dates. 
Yeah, it's the first thing I thought as well. I thought that was quite interesting. I think for this kind of thing, the sports rulebook has evolved over the course of, well, I mean, what, 1993, really, this formula was, was implemented. So it's been constant evolution ever since then. There hasn't been one massive wholesale change, though Blueprint probably was, was the biggest thing. So th- this is the biggest technical shake-up for the sport and the way cars are built for 20 years. So I think they need to make sure they do the best possible job they can to make it right before they get teams building cars and spending half a million bucks or whatever it might be, hopefully hopefully less, on making new cars to go racing. And it's exactly the same process that NASCAR went through when they had the car of tomorrow. And it wasn't liked by very many people, but the implementation itself was successful. The cars were reliable and uh, teams got on with the job and went racing. So I think it's just being very smart and, and giving people enough time to um, to do it. I found it interesting that Paul Sepernich and his business was involved with this um, uh, building the two, the Holden and the Ford car of the future cars that are going to be displayed. And, and he's a man with so much experience building and engineering race cars. I think that's a pretty savvy sort of choice as well to uh, to make the first two cars and, and get them there on the tracks and get them shown and then uh, go through the process of getting things ready for teams to take over. Talking. Yeah, I think it's, uh, it's an interesting way to go about it. I mean, clearly, um, building something slower with a smaller engineering workshop than building it quick is cheaper. Uh, at the end of the day, you know, if you want to build it quickly, then you just throw more resources at something. So this is smart. Um, it's smart to test it. It's smart to go through the whole process and to make sure that you've got a machine up and running that's had all of the, all of the bits and pieces done to it. Um, you know, it is a fairly large change, but it's not an engineering challenge in a sense. It's almost a construction challenge because they haven't really determined all of the engineering bits yet. You know, what are we doing with diffs, for instance? You know, and they're the things that I think are going to take a bit more effort and a bit more work to, to resolve. Mm. Uh, but as I say, you know, it is cheaper to build a car slower with a smaller engineering workshop than uh, quicker with a big one. Mm. All right, now, Gas & Go. Gas & Go is brought to you by the Forex Gold V8X Mega Fan Survey. I know both of you guys have logged onto either V8X magazine and followed the links through to the Forex Gold website where you can do the survey. But it is the fans' chance to make or have their say in what they want to see with V8 supercars. Gas and go for this week. We need to be quick because I'm running out of time, guys. Warren Luff wins his first enduro race of 2010. Does this seal his drive with Courtney, not Johnson, at the enduros? Clarky. Oh, you'd think so. I mean, uh, I would have had him there anyway. I mean, Warren Luff's a class operator. Um, he's got experience as a full-time driver in the series, and uh, in some ways he probably should be a full-time driver still. So, you know, that's the way to go, I reckon. Yep, and yep, 100% agree. All right, then, now to you, Richard. Damien White has been promoted to Ops Manager. Who's going to care now about the Fujitsu series? Oh, just as they're starting to make headway, too. I think now that they're quite focused on it, and Damien's done a good job behind the scenes getting that field back up and running back up to 25, 26 cars, I think they'll find someone... I think they realise now that they need to find someone good to uh, get involved and, and keep this progress going, this momentum going, because a strong Fujitsu series is a stronger V8 supercar series overall. So they'll get someone handy, and I've got no doubt. Tiger? Yeah, yeah, totally agree. I mean, at the end of the day, I think there's bigger issues with the Fujitsu series than that. Mm. When will the first Chevy Lumina Cup driver make it to the big stage? We saw uh, Rahid Rafi, I think I got that right. Uh, last week, driving the super cheap auto car, uh, do we need to make that cross to link the uh, the two track and series? I don't think you need to make a get somebody to make the jump to do that. But uh, 
Now, it'd be nice if they did, but at the end of the day, there's not a single person in that series talented enough to drive a V8 supercar competitively. Richard? Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I think, you know, it's, it's the old conundrum. You need to be quick enough to be in the sport. So we don't want to go get a, a B-grade driver in a, an A-grade sport and have them out of their depth because that won't do anyone any favours. Ultimately, though, having a, a Middle Eastern driver in the field is going to help with the promotion of Bahrain and Abu Dhabi. So I think long term, it's it's a good thing to have someone in the sport, but only if they're capable of doing the job. Mm. Now, Richard, Murphy's got three co-drivers this year. Is he that hard to work with? <laughs> oh, no, I think it's a victim of circumstance. He's got three bloody good ones, though, you have to say. Uh, I don't think it'll be too much of an issue. Murph's been through all this before. He knows what it's like, and uh, that, that team is, uh, is strong enough to deal with it. So, uh, you know, it's a frustration probably, but uh, he's got capable co-drivers. They'll be OK. Andrew? Oh, I think it's all great for us to poke fun at Murph every so often, but uh, it's clearly got nothing to do with him. It's uh, just a fact of circumstance. Uh, if you said you could go to Bathurst with uh, Alan Simonson or Tim Blanchard, what would you do? I'd be going with Simonson, um, mm. but I can't use him for Phillip Island, um, and I can't use him on the Gold Coast. So it's just the way, the way it falls. Yeah. Um, yeah. Will the politicians start going after the lucrative motor racing votes with some promises for new racetracks, bigger V8 supercar support? What do you think, Clarkie? No, I can't see it happening. No. Career, Richard? No, the only way that kind of stuff happens is in local government like uh, Adelaide Council and stuff like that. Um, But, yeah, no, not at a federal or state level, I wouldn't have thought. All right, then, that's Gas and Go for another week here on the V8 Insiders, brought to you by the Mega Fan Survey, only available through the V8X website or 4X Gold's V8 Supercar website. And, uh, guys, it's been a great pleasure catching up with you once again here on the V8 Insiders, and uh, I have got a feeling we might talk again before this break is over. No worries. Thanks, guys. Clarky, looking forward to the book. I will be uh, at the bookstore as soon as it comes out. No worries. Thanks, guys. I'll see you soon. On the white flag lap this week, it's John Crennan. I hope you'll stay with us. He's next. Find out more about your favourite supercar teams and drivers when we go inside further on the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. You've watched the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing. V8 Supercars, showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers. V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen. You're listening to V8 Insiders. John Crennan joins us on the White Flag Lap this week, and we started by asking him about his move to Kelly Racing. Thank you very much, Sip. It's good to be there. I felt like in the course of my last two-and-a-half-year non-compete restraint that that I felt like a guy who's been playing football all of his life and then for two-and-a-half years was forced to go and have to play cricket, but I'm now getting back to playing football. If all that makes sense. I guess more and more often these days with the level of professionalism in V8 supercars, we're going to see a lot more people locked out like that. Yeah, um, I, I don't think you know, to the to the extent of two and a half years, though, that was probably a pretty big one. But um, uh, yeah, I, I think these days restraints probably at best can be determined around about the, the, the 12-month mark, I think, that, that if you talk to any people in the legal profession these days and the HR side of the business, I think that's that's a, a more normal emergence at the moment. But yes, in principle, there's probably going to be a bit more of that, yeah. Now, 
after two and a half years, what makes you want to come back to uh, to motor racing? Well, uh, first of all, I've stayed business fit. I've you know conducted a an advisory business. I've had a lot of non-automotive clients, and I've really enjoyed that. Um, and look, I, I see I've seen so often over such a long period of time in motorsport, so many marriages of convenience where a couple of parties get together that sort of over a drink or a good barbecue or a phone call or something or other, they, they spark together, etc. But um, the only reason I would ever come back is because it would have had to be a good fit and would have to be strategically a lot of sense. And I go back a long, long way with the Kellys and we've maintained contact in a, in a relationship that has been not only business-like but also as friends and and the opportunity was there I think to be able to given the somewhat unique situation they have in the structure of their team by being you know captain coaches if you like um, that there's probably room for somebody with a bit of experience that might just sort of take the burden off their shoulders a little bit so it uh, to answer that it was a good fit for me and I certainly am still not ready for retirement when I look at someone uh, walking up the shops every morning around my age, shuffling up to, to buy the paper or taking the dog for a walk is the most important thing in their day. That motivates me more than anything to get back into the cut and thrust. When you look at the changes that have gone on since you last uh, were heavily involved in it, uh, what do you think are the, the key things that you're going to be able to bring into the Kellys from that outsider's view? Um, look, that, that probably won't change, and as we sort of noted in the in the press release, um, I always played, to a certain extent, a, a backroom role, and I was more interested in the business side of the business and not having the head under the bonnet trying to pretend I knew how to make a car go faster. So I, I don't see a lot of change to my role, which will be you know, more in the planning and more in the strategy and more in the finessing and, and, and making sure... You know, uh, both the big things and the small things are done and done professionally and done appropriately. So um, I, I just hope we'll be able to tick more boxes and have them done done better uh, than, the, than, than what has probably been a, a massive learning curve for these guys in 18 months. It's having to start up a new team with four cars. Mm. That is one of the things about the Kellys. They have got every aspect of their business in-house. Yep. As we approach the car of tomorrow, the car of the future, what are going to be some of the key elements that you're going to be able to put in place to make their transition not as helter-skelter and not as hectic as what their last 18 months has been? Well, we better not give our competitors too much of a leg up in terms of getting to know too much about our plans, but, but, it, but, but quite clearly there, there's, there's two types of business models that have emerged, A, the, the superpower ones where, as you say, that they do everything in-house and Kelly's do everything from the decals right through to the engines, through the car preparation, through to the driving. And, and there's only two other teams that are sort of in that, in that area. The rest sort of have some partial in-house capability and the, and the rest they buy in. So the, the, the number one thing is to, is to stick with that commitment going forward about you know, being in, in, in the big league and, and doing it all yourself. And, and, and more than anything, you know, making sure that the, that the racing department and the commercial department, you know, are complementing each other, and uh, and you know, having the processes that that, that, that are going to be most appropriate to take on the challenges associated with the, the, the car of the future. 
with your background through HSV and and those sort of businesses, is this something that uh, the Kellys have an opportunity to uh, really utilise with yourself at the, the special vehicles end? Well, well, no, that, that's pretty much locked away with with HSV and it went in a long term agreement with Holden. But but even if it weren't, uh, you know, the, the number one job, even when we started HSV, you know, we, we for two years just concentrated on getting that business together, and then we got into racing after that, and had the two complement each other. But I would see in the short term, and by that I mean at least probably the next you know two years that that, that the Kelly's challenges. Uh, are comprehensive and profound enough in in just getting their four cars as competitive as possible. But after that, all things being equal, um, you know, a lot of opportunities can always emerge. Be it car dealerships, be it tuning operations, be it accessorisation, be it you know safety centres. All, all those things could always be there, and, and that would be something, you know, that, that we could always look at. But that's very much down the road. Well, obviously, with them being a complete in-house operation, the logical step is perhaps not to go to the to the automotive trade, but to go to the motor racing trade and become a key supplier to all those other satellite teams who are now buying in their technology. Yeah, there, there is that. Um, I, I'll be honest, I'm not a fan of that. I, I saw it, it, it absolutely paralyse our business in the early 90s when we tried to run a race team and then tried to run other teams for them with, with components and the fighting and the bickering it caused between the, the two operations was was quite quite serious. And and you have to be able to shoot very, very straight and make sure you've got you know a, a very dedicated group of people doing your racing operations and an entirely different group of people making sure that they're looking after customers and making sure that the two aren't cutting across each other because, as I say, I, I, I've seen those situations wreck a, a racing business. So, you know, a, again, that would be something that if and when McCallies were in a position to contemplate that, you know, the, the, the business plan would have to, to my mind, really uh, shoot very straight. Your announcement of uh, joining the team also comes at an interesting time. What do you make of a, a nine-week layoff in the middle of the what is traditionally thought of as the season? Well, um, uh, taking it one step further, I, I always felt that the most important thing for V8 supercars was to avoid wherever possible the, the conflict of football because the football product is absolutely outstanding and, and to take it on is always going to be a very, very tough call and, and if I could wave a magic wand, I, I would prefer to see a racing season, frankly, that, that, that went from September to April, and, and the only people you really had to take on were cricket and, and one network, but because you know, I, I think that's probably a more uh, an easier uh, uh, an easier avenue to penetrate with the demographics and psychographics of the of the motor the motor racing industry. We are in a unique position in this country where our motorsport is run through the winter for the most part, where everyone else, motor racing is a summer, summer sport. Yeah, and it, and it seems to work all right, but I, I do think it's, it's, it's tough to get breakthrough in the, you know, in the television game with, with that going on. Well, it's going to be interesting times ahead. We appreciate your time as you're uh, certainly getting up to speed.
Thank you very much. Great. My thanks to John Crennan, also to Andrew Clark and Richard Crowell as the checker flag waves over another edition of the V8 Insiders. Keep smiling and bye for now. Join us next week for more V8 Insiders, only on v8x.com.au.